Well, what's up, everybody? Another episode of All at War. I want to just say welcome global citizens. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, I'm Turner, and I'm in the studio with Rosie, and we got Rachel. What's up, Rachel? Hey, hey. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Rosie, what's up with you, my brother? Hey, hey. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad. I, I went with Rachel first because no, yeah, ladies good. first, right? Yeah, that's absolutely. like a chivalrous thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, but plus, you know. Um, I know. <laughs> you know. All right. <laughs> hey, we are I going to say I am one of those women who appreciates chivalry, by the way. That's good. You to be alive and well. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. I think women do appreciate it. even i think even those most hardened feminist like women they i think they actually like having the door held secretly because yeah or a tire changed right yeah. yeah a little bit of protection that that you know maybe they anyways yeah yeah you know uh, i know hey do you hear that yeah let's listen quietly I can't hear it. Oh, my dog was snoring over here my yeah. dog's on the floor over here and he was snoring usually turner's all freaking out as soon as a dog makes a noise i know and now you're like hey everyone shut up so we can listen to this dog <laughs> which is um... I, I just think it's great that he snores and then that's that's rachel's little boy i think right is that is that oh yes they got my children i uh, hear you yeah they're happy coloring they're on the podcast so um all right we're gonna jump into this podcast in a minute but rosie what do you know man hey did you know that Wyoming has an intergalactic airport. No, I spaceport. Didn't. Okay, intergalactic. So, how about this? There is. It's called uh, the Gre- Greater Green River Intergalactic Spaceport. <laughs> All right. So it is a small public use airport airstrip about five miles south of Green River, Wyoming, on a mountain known as South Hill. It opened in 1963. It covers 400, 400 acres, and it has one runway. It says the runway is unattended with no buildings or facilities except for a windsock. The runway does not have a clear line of sight <laughs> from the runway ends. Um, blah, 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 blah. It said on July 5th, 1944, Resolution R9423 of the Green River City Council designated this landing field as the, quote, greater re- Green River Intergalactic Spaceport for inhabitants of Jupiter who might wish to take sanctuary in Green River in the event their planet is threatened by collisions from comets or meteors. Okay. So that is a real thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. Comets or meteors. Yeah. So, okay. So if anyone is listening from Jupiter, you can go to Wyoming and hang out, man. That's right. Go hang out in which a- is actually pretty based because Wyoming is a good state. It's a safe it's a safe, safe. state for yeah. you. Yeah. So there you go. That's cool. A, a, you know, with the emergence of Space Force, we might as well have some intergalactic spaceports. Yeah, this is from ninety four though. That's like that's a ahead long of the time. time. Yeah, that's progressive. Was, that shows you that the government's thinking ahead, right? Oh yeah. They're like ten years ahead of us. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Very true. Awesome. Hey, we got a great podcast. We're going to continue our podcast on the Freemason influence of Washington, D.C., but uh, we'll get into that after this, so we'll catch you on the other side.
You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. You know what I forgot to do? I forgot to say sit back, grab a kahi coffee, and enjoy. Oh, yeah. So sit back, grab a kahi coffee, and enjoy. Did I tell everyone that we were sponsored, or not sponsored, we were partnered? We are partnered with kahi coffee and if you purchase kahi coffee for yourself through the website you can click on our logo and you can help support the podcast as well we never ask for anything in fact we're going to be giving away some coffee here in the next week so keep an eye on our instagram page follow us on instagram it's all out war podcast on instagram follow us and you have a chance to win some coffee so there's that Get, get, I know, and it is. They sent me. Actually, I bought a bag for myself, mm. and I got the Brazilian. It's the it's the medium roast, and I got it. You can get it ground, and you can get it whole bean, whatever. And so I had it ground because my grinder's broken. So I got it ground for my coffee maker. And oh, your grinder is broken. <laughs> is it from uh... smoking that sticky sticky green stuff, <laughs> dude? How did you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's been a while, man. I I actually have forgotten about that. <laughs> but yeah, so not that kind of grinder. Not that kind of grinder. No, no, my coffee grinder, my bean grinder. But uh, anyways, we uh, I got some. It's great. I've been doing my bulletproof coffees every morning with it. I I like their coffee. It's it's <laughs> it's awesome. Oh man. Uh, anyways, hey, all right, let's jump into this. Um, on the last episode, if you want, Rachel, I'm going to turn you down a little bit because I'm getting some weird feedback. Um, sorry. But uh, it, on the last episode that we did on Freemasons, uh, we talked about the origins of Freemasonry in the Washington, D.C. city. And uh, I've been going around the, the town looking. One of the things that I found that um, I didn't get a picture of, but I wanted to get a picture of, and I will eventually, I just couldn't stop in traffic, and that was the... Um, the the mason the freemason lodge in dc it's pretty wild looking man and it's uh it's on 17th street in dc i believe so i'm gonna get over there this week and i'll put it on our instagram page if you're following us on instagram i posted just just a few minutes ago before we started recording here on sunday evening i posted a picture of the city of um of the capitol hill region of DC and it's an it's basically an owl and uh, you see that owl and so I wanted to talk a little bit about the owl because the big question that you know when you walk around on Capitol Hill area they have these big signs up and it's kind of like a map and you can see I actually that picture that I put up on Instagram was I took a picture of the map from from this, oh wow yeah I was walking I went to lunch and I walked over and I just snapped a picture of it so they even show that it looks like an owl yeah totally unashamed they just oh my gosh yeah it's literally on the signs there and it tells you what the different buildings are and all that kind of stuff and uh if you look at the picture on our instagram page there the the actual capitol building is right in the middle so it would be like kind of the beak mouth area of the owl then the way that the roads are cut out around it it looks makes the shape of an eye and the body and all that kind of stuff and then as you progress more towards the potomac river which would be the back side of the capitol and you have to understand the way that the city's laid out, the Capitol, the way it's set up, is that the front of the Capitol would actually be on the top of the owl, like the, the, the forehead of the owl, facing the top of the owl. The back of the Capitol would be the body of the owl. As you go down the body of the owl, 
uh, towards the Washington Monument, there's actually it's it looks like a sword. It's not in that picture, but if you get a if you Google out or whatever you use for your search engine, uh, you can find images of the city and you can see that it looks like a sword. So you have a sword and an owl. And, uh, and then there's also some other things like so there's probably four different or five different pentagrams laid out in the city street structures. Mm-hmm. And, 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 then mm-hmm. you, and then you have the actual Pentagon. So yeah. <laughs> the, we, we have a literal building in the middle, or not in the middle, but off to the side of D.C. there called the Pen- Pentagon, which is obviously the military thing. So um, let's talk for a second about the owl. And this is just my, what I've in, in my basic research. The the owl in scripture is not a good thing. Yeah. So anything biblically related to owls in in the Old Testament is going to be in relation to desolation. Um, uh, basically, it's a dark creature of the night. Uh, it, there was some there's some real weird folklore that goes with owls. Um, you know, ancient Jewish folklore and stuff that go with owls. But it, even if you get before you know, the Jewish times and you go into like pre, like the mythology side of things, the, the owl is, is definitely, um, it's a, it's an animal that represents darkness and an ominous, you know, figure. Uh, I'll just read something real quick that I pulled off of, um, an article that I was reading in research about owls and spirituality. Uh, it says, how did the medieval men, understand the owl for them the owl symbolized mourning and desolation because it is a bird that lives in the darkness thus it represents sinners who have given up living in the light and have chosen darkness of sin saint francis preaching to the birds the owl represents the jews in need of conversion since it hides in darkness and avoids the light the owl also came to symbolize satan the prince of darkness so that was some some pretty early church writers, St. Francis was around, I don't know when he was around, but um, connected to that article was a really crazy stained glass of St. Francis trying to preach to the birds. Mm. <laughs> and there's an owl, there's like an owl up in the corner of the stained glass, just like giving him like the evil eye. It's kind of crazy. Um, you want me, can, can I continue to read for a yeah. minute? Okay, it says, the bestiaries tell us that the owl is a filthy bird because it pollutes its own nest with its dung. It loves to live around tombs and decaying structures. When the owl ventures out into the daylight, the other birds attack it. The scene of the owl mobbed by other... uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place there. The scene of the owl mobbed by other birds is common in manuscripts and is often carved on, on, on misery cords. This is generally understood as just a hostility of the righteous towards the wicked as just hostility towards of the righteous towards the wicked for the medieval man the owl also represents uh already said that the jews and it says the medieval uh, bestiary and this is physologus latinus stresses that the aspect of the nicotrax translated as the night crow or the owl so they call it the night crow um so basically in old medieval times they the owl was like this you know biblically the owl was representative of the tombs it's only mentioned actually twice in the scriptures i think if you do a concordance search on of it what? the owl is only mentioned twice and i know this because i wanted to get a 
tattoo of an owl. <laughs> I wanted to get a big tattoo of an owl on my on my calf and just like the head of an owl because I thought it was I thought it symbolized a source of wisdom or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's always mm-hmm. when I was a kid, the owl always was connected with um, you know the cartoon. He always had like the the professor's cap on and you know the monocle and you know you know the tootsie pop the tootsie pop yeah exactly and uh but really it's connected it has some pretty dark symbolism uh connected to freemasonry and illuminati as well i know you love the illuminati there rosie yeah. were you gonna say something no well, oh, okay i have something uh after okay keep going about the owl. so when we talk about freemasonry stuff the owl is symbolic of the occult and secret knowledge and it has a long history with them um it says since the times of the greeks and romans the owl ruler of the night as was the guardian of the underworlds inhabited by demons an owl was always on the shoulder of minerva and athena the goddess of wisdom and learning symbolizing the occult knowledge of the pagan gods an owl hides in the right hand corner of our dollar bill since the Illuminati pretend to be wise rulers of the planet, maintaining and passing in secret knowledge of the ancient deities, that is, the devils, the owl became one of their symbols. It is Its unblinking large eye represents the all-seeing eye of the Illuminati that never closes. Because the owl's eyes seem to not move, it moves its neck to turn its head completely around to see to see another sign of the occult sex, which through the initiated agents can see where normal men cannot. And like the owl, the Freemasons gather in secret far from the light of day. Freemasons also consider the owl a symbol of reincarnation. Since it is awake at night, they consider it a symbol of the soul that has left a dead body and remains in the night, waiting to reenter another body that is being conceived. For them, the owl symbolizes Meta, meta, metaphys, metapsychosis, <laughs> I can read, I really can, which is their theory of reincarnation in the souls. Thus, the old owl from our nursery tales acquire a more sinister aspect. These are some of the reasons why I told my friends, and most probably the owner of that pleasant Spanish-style house that we visited, was a Freemason. Uh, that's a story earlier on I didn't read about where he a guy goes to a house of a friend and he has a big painting of an owl right over the fireplace. Mm. And he goes, was the guy that lived here a Freemason? And he goes, how would you know that? <laughs> he said the owl gave it away. The term blackballed uh, comes from Freemasonry uh, where they would, they were, <clears throat> they would use um, a voting uh, ritual where they would uh, take a single stone or a ball or a black cube and use it to vote. The black cube was also representing Satan. So it goes on to talk about some other things, but that was about the owl in particular. And I, I find it really interesting that, you know, here we are, our nation's capital, uh, so many Freemason founders and, and influencers to the city. Um, we haven't even gotten into, we will maybe later another time, but we can get into uh, Lafont, who was one the guy commissioned to actually design the city. He wasn't the original one commissioned, by the way. It was another Freemason, as well. But um, and John Adams also had a big part in it. He was also a Freemason. Um, but they, uh, you have this owl right on the Capitol, you know, where all of this political business is going to happen. The direction of our country, the laws are going to be made, and and it literally is in the center of a of an owl in our city 
And I just, it blows me away that it's right in plain sight. Like you can, you could be a tourist and you could go downtown DC. You could go right up to the Capitol. You can walk right up to the Capitol. There's nothing stopping any part, anybody from walking up to the Capitol. And you can look at the layout um, on the signs, like the picture that I posted on our Instagram page, and you can see it for yourself. The question is why, like what's going on? Like why would the, why would the Masons do this and what would be the purpose and what were they trying to do and what are they saying? And then as you go down the mall, then you have this giant phallic symbol <laughs> that, would, mm-hmm. that stands as the Washington Monument, which people love. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's really cool to look at. You know, it's neat. It, it, you know, I drive past it every day. It's, it's neat. It, you, it loses its, you know, um, its, you know, glitter, you know, if you will, when you see it every day. But people travel from around the world to see the Washington Monument. Yeah, you know they want to see this thing that stands out on the mall, not realizing even what they're looking at, and so I just wanted to kind of like have an open discussion a little bit with you guys about some of these things. Uh, you know, we talked about the monument last in the last episode, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to episode eighty-eight about the Washington Monument in particular and um, some cool history that we found there. But what do you guys think about the owl? Um, I've definitely, I mean, I looked into getting an owl tattoo as well <laughs> way back when. <laughs> Um, mostly because my son had a little owl toy that I absolutely loved and I thought it was so cute. So I was going to get a tattoo. And then I started looking into it because I was trying to go into like, what is the symbol behind it? I was like, well, okay, Athena, Minerva, I'm, I'm not really into that. And then I started delving into how it actually is so tied in with uh, Freemasonry. And I was like, mm, I don't really know a whole lot about Freemasonry like at the time. And the more that I learned, I was just, it didn't sit well with me. Um, so, but learning all of this about, um, how it's viewed as far as within the church and from a biblical standpoint, very, very interesting. Um, because there's other symbols too, like goats and whatnot that are used in the Mm -hmm. Bible and they have, um, connotations to them that are spiritual as well. So, um, I found another article about, um, the, Freemason um, owl in the on the dollar bill. How if you flip it over and you zoom in on it, it looks just like the bottom of a skull and crossbones, which is another um, club, you know, secret yeah. society. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I should send you guys this article, but um, this guy is pointing out he writes extensively about. Um, uh, He's also a 33-degree Mason. He writes extensively about Masonry, and he says that it's more of a Illuminati symbol, Bavarian Illuminati. So um, it's very interesting that, especially with the emphasis that they put on wisdom, um, that they would use that a lot in their uh, symbols. So So the the skeptic out there would be like, the person listening would be like, yeah, you guys are making such a big deal. It's an owl. It just represents wisdom. They just wanted to... So have wisdom to rule our nation and all. And, uh, and I would say, yeah, they probably did, you know, in the most innocent way they probably did, but it's not that <laughs> mm-hmm. I just can't accept that it's that basic. Like, Oh, it's an, yeah. out- it, we want to make the outline of, of the most important building in the most important city in the world, in the free world, an owl. We want it to be sitting on an, an outline of an owl. There's, thought that goes into this and that's the thing that 
you know, like we were we were joking about before we hit record, we were talking you were, or or uh, no, we we were just saying it during the did you know, you were talking about ninety four. They had an intergalactic space station, you know, or whatever space landing spot, and I'm like, yeah, ninety four. They were already ahead of the curve, right? The they're thinking ahead, many many steps ahead than than the public really mm-hmm. realize. And you see this with things that are coming out just more recently, like from the pandemic, like all like the the you know, event twenty twenty, and uh, you know the mm-hmm. we're discovering that some of these elites that have control in areas of the world, it's believed that they are unfolding something that they have already pre-planned. And so to say and look at the owl outline on the Capitol, you know architecture or whatever you know the mm-hmm. street architecture and say that it wasn't pre-planned it doesn't have an agenda behind it it's not connected to something greater just coincidence right yeah, yeah. or innocence that's just ignorance you know mm-hmm. on, and and then to and then to look at how many freemasons actually are part of the founding fathers and how mm-hmm. how much impact it had on our nation developing it's too it's too coincidental it's just too coincidental you know, yeah, to just ignore and look the other way. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what's crazy to me is that it's not like who was a Mason and who wasn't is not a secret. Like it's out there. Like I was just reading about because I grew up close to Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I was just reading that George Washington's Masonic Lodge was in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hmm. And that's where he went through all of his, you know, initial degrees. And um, so I'm like, like where I went to church. That's where I hung out with my friends. Like it's so crazy that, you know, all of this stuff was going on. And I never knew that about George Washington. Like you just, you kind of almost focus on the good when you're in school, you focus on like, okay, so this one, this president did this famous thing and we were homeschooled. So we would always focus on like, this one was a believer and this one wasn't, or, you know, this one did this thing and it was awesome for the faith and everything. And then to realize like, which ones like, maybe that was just for show or maybe they didn't realize, or maybe they did realize the full extent of what they were getting into when they were so involved with masonry. So, yeah, I, I, uh, when I, I just think, the education system at large, the public education system is totally uh, been neutered from the truth of so much of our history. And, mm-hmm. and they rewrite history. They literally, they revise the history to, to, for an, a, there's an agenda behind that. We could do a whole podcast series on the education system. And I have, you know, my, I have family, my, my sister's a teacher and I have good friends that are teachers in public schools here in the United States and they're great people. They're not part of the agenda. It's what's coming down from above them. That was probably put oh, in yeah. place a long, long time ago, long before, mm-hmm. you know, probably when they, when we were in grade school, they were starting to unfold some of that stuff, you know, unpack it and change the education system. So we can't even get a straight answer from our history teachers on what, what, what were the founding fathers and what did it mean? You know, what did it mm-hmm. mean? You know, there was a rise of secret societies back in the 1600s, 1700s, early 1800s. It was sort of a trendy thing to do. You know, if you weren't going to go to church, you were in a secret society, you know, and there was all there was, you know, we did a whole we did a whole series on secret societies. There was so many of them historically through. And so some of it was um, just more of a social thing. Some of it had this social side to it. But what 
the Freemasons in particular, and we're probably going to all be murdered because of this, by the way, just so you know, um, <laughs> oh, will drown. Like William Morgan. Right, like William Morgan. <laughs> uh, except we won't be in jail yet. Yeah. But uh, we'll probably get audited here uh, soon. But, um, but, you know, when you think about it, it's like, what, what were their plans for America? What were they trying to do? Were they just trying to get in and make a a nation that was full of their secret society and have this sort of like occult run nation that was fueled by that and, and then have some kind of dominance in the world of all the other nations? Like what were they, you know, was, was it, did it stem out of something that was already long existing in the, in the, you know, the British empire and through the Queens of the British empire? Like those are the questions that, that bug me that we're not going to be able to just readily find. You can research your heart out, but you're not going to be able to necessarily find the answers to these things, but they're lingering out there. Yeah. You know? Um, and what's crazy to me is that they were just so bold as to literally put it in front of people like a 600, you know, 555 foot phallic symbol, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the, the name of, the DC area with the seven Hills Capitol Hill being like named after the, the Vatican, you know, Capitol Hill in Vatican city. Um, all of these things, it's almost like, um, there was some real planning that went into our nation long before it actually came into existence, man. I'm starting to sound like yeah. a real tin foil hat guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these people had serious money and, or at least serious, uh, access to funds through big names who had a lot of money. So um, I thought that uh, I need to share this with you guys in case we ever do like a full on timeline of the Freemason history. But I just found a short, you know, timeline of the relations between the Roman Catholic Church and the Freemasons. And it almost sounds like because of how much the Freemason influence um, or like institution had to do with like um, enlightenment and education and uh, kind of like a, yes, illumination of the mind and like sciences and architecture and building and everything. Um, and not so much an emphasis on sound doctrine that the Catholic church actually like for the longest time, I don't know about now, but like for the longest time, completely condemned masonry. Yeah. And so, that was part of the big push that like, yes, it started in England and Scotland and everything, but then um, moved to America um, around the time of the, the founding of America. So I thought that was really interesting. And that might be something that we delve into later is like the timeline of how it was pushed to America, especially during the founding and all the founders who were involved, because I mean, we're talking like when, rationalism started there was like a newtonian influence of a mechanistic universe um there's a rejection of original sin in that age of enlightenment um there's just like a lot of interesting um arguments and uh philosophies that were going around that were so anti-bible that the catholics kind of like uh rejected anything that had to do with the Freemasons. So um, I think that might be interesting just talking about like not only the historical timeline, but like the timeline of how the church and the Freemasons also um, kind of like split ways. So 
Yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, I talked about it briefly. I don't know if I gave it enough justice last time, but uh, about I, I wrote about that, uh, wrote about it. I spoke about that book, uh, The New Atlantis by Francis Bacon. Mm, and Francis mm-hmm. Bacon was a, uh, came out of enlightenment and was totally, um, I mean, a he was a father of empiricism and mm-hmm. the science, uh, you know, the basically the founder of modern science. Because I think he came, I don't know, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to say he came before Isaac Newton, but I think he did. Um, so, I mean, and just going through the blueprints of the society that he laid out in there, it's pretty interesting. But um, I don't want to, I guess I will, I say I don't want to hop back, but I do have some stuff that I pulled up um, regarding the owl, which is really interesting. And um, we were talking about, uh, um, I'll just say this. So uh, we had, we talked about Michael Heiser. We love Michael Heiser. And he wrote that new book called about demons and my brain immediately went to this part of um isaiah where he talks about this thing and i just want to um maybe give it a little bit more due um which is just pretty interesting because he talks about this uh this section in isaiah 13 and um he's talking about it for a different reason but you'll see where i'm going so in isaiah 13 21 um this is out of this is what the sub, Septuagint uh, says that I'm reading this translation. It says, "But the wild beast r- shall rest there, and the houses shall be filled with howling, the, and monsters shall rest there, and devils shall dance there." And it says, "And satyrs will dwell there, and hedgehogs shall make their nests in their homes. It will come soon." And uh, the reason that he was talking about it is because that term where it says the devils will dance there. And so he goes into all that, but on a in the King James version, if you go to read that same verse, it says the owls shall dwell there, and the uh, goat demons is the word satyrs shall dance there. <laughs> so it uh, I thought it was really interesting because uh, the and it's talking about like the these goat devils, which is again something you know uh, Baal worship and you know all this other stuff. But it's it, I did find it interesting that one of the few times that uh, owls is mentioned it's mentioned in like you know there's owls there and there's devils there like you know they're so dark it's pretty dark yeah Yeah. and um so this so that got me uh looking just now and uh so there's this old book called uh the lesser key of solomon which is actually a book uh the lesser keys of solomon I, i believe and it is um Give me one sec. I'll read like a good um, thing. It's uh, an, anon- an anonymous grimoire, uh, which is a spell book on demonology. It says it was compiled in the mid 17th century, mostly from materials a couple of centuries earlier. It's divided into five books, but this is like the go to uh, book that like witches use and stuff like that and has all these spells and it talks about all these different demons um Hmm. that you can uh summon you know like you can summon um this thing and anyway so i I was thinking of this so there's a demon that he talks about named stolas uh it says also known as stolos stapas and solas is 
quote, a great prince of hell. He commands 26 legions of demons. He teaches astronomy and is knowledgeable about herbs, plants, and precious stones. He is depicted as a raven or a crowned owl with long legs. Hmm. So there is actually a demon that goes back that holds some high place, um, you know, according to this stuff. He's actually a prince of hell. He's a, a you know, a prince. So there is a, yeah, I just thought that was pretty interesting um, that there is like a direct link to that stuff. And I, I found just while I was looking, um, there is a lot of stuff. I'm on like this witches um, Wikipedia, basically, like a Wikipedia for witches. And Great. it talks about all the stuff about the owls. Um, and one thing I did find interesting let me um it talks about uh right here it says owls are believed to have played a more prominent role and this is just gonna you'll, you'll see where i'm tying this in together owls are believed to have played a more prominent role in early celtic cults mm. and could perhaps have derived from a more broadly based deity of a common european european descent predating the greek cult of athene for whom the owl was an animal attribute, were images of these mysterious birds in the Celtic lands. Owls are believed to be a sacred animal to the famed cult of the head, which is, uh, I'm trying to find it, I think it's in like uh, Scotland. Uh, you know, I mean, it's so far back that it's the Celts. This mm -hmm. very ancient, ancient, Dark. ancient, ancient yeah. religion. Um, Super pagan. Yeah, and it says they all often appear with human heads and with bovines, such as rams and bulls, all of which have been determined by scholars to be objects of this strange cult. Uh, in modern Scottish and Welsh, Welsh languages, the owl, by the etymology of the word alone, carries negative connotations of death and darkness. Um, and then it says, and then in later Gallo-Roman times, the owl lost its cult significance, but has been linked to a Celtic goddess associated with fertility but hmm. i think it's interesting that it, it was talking about initially being a part of uh this ancient celtic paganism um and where did where did the freemasons come from yeah totally the same the same area yeah they, so that I, I just thought that that was really interesting that ties that there's more um straight up i mean it's a pagan symbol from the people that started the Freemasons. Like they just took old pagan. Uh, yeah. It's almost worships. like they just mashed up a bunch of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like pagan. And this is the thing. It's like the occult. This is the thing about the occult is that um, when, and you got to start, you got to understand like principles of the occult, which I've, I try and avoid. <laughs> I don't really want to know principles of the occult too much, but it's really important for believers to understand that there's there's there are practices, principles, and there's uh, reasons that they do what they do and the way that the way that things are the way that they are. And so, if you understand them a little bit better, you you can decipher what's happening or maybe even make sense out of something. Because if you just look at this picture on Instagram that I put of the owl outline on the city streets. Um, it, it just, it's okay. What do I, how do I like big deal? But there, when you understand that there's reasons in the occult behind all of that, then you re you realize, okay, so there's an agenda, there's something else deeper that's, 
being happy. And I don't always know all these things. You know, it's like when we were talking about the Joker movie. Like, were we talking about it on the last podcast or was it just offline? We were talking about it. And, but how, like, I started to notice these things in the Joker movie that, mm. like, when he looked in the mirror and when he walked down the stairs and it was sort of the descent of his character you know, the Joker's character as he was kind of giving way to his psychotic, you know, side of him. And, uh, and then when he finally killed those guys and he fled and he ran into this bathroom and by the subway, he was on a checkered white and black and white checkered floor. And he looks in the mirror and that's his full, like giving into his new persona, you know, as the Joker, if you will, which was this maniacal psychotic killer. Well, all of those things were symbolic in, in rituals, the stairwell, the, you know, the checkered floor, the mirror, all of those things, they were symbolic of this like transformation um, of this individual. And so if you recognize the symbols and the signs, then you can actually begin to decipher what's happening deeper in the story or, you know, from, from that situation. So when I'm trying to apply and look at our city, at our nation's capital that way, and it's like, it's puzzling to me because I don't, like I'm still learning the how to connect the dots on some of this stuff. And some of it makes clear sense to me. It's pretty easy to understand. Other parts of it are just not as clear for me personally. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some listener out there that studied this stuff or has come out of Freemasonry and they can be like, Oh yeah, totally. I get it. I can tell you like you're missing or you're, you're missing so much here or you're getting it wrong in this way or that way. And you know, for that I say, just give me some grace. That's why I'm admitting. I don't know everything about it. But what I do know is that it's not good. It's in our foundations of our nation. And um, if you're a believer, you have to understand that that we have a role in um, how to live in Babylon, if you will. You know what I mean? Like uh, Daniel did and like anyone that was in captivity uh, during that 70-year reign, we have to learn how to live uh, with within that system in, in so many ways. Um but uh, anyways, that's that's what I was going to just say. Like, if you can understand the th- if you can understand the secret symbols and signs, uh, which is the hidden knowledge, then um, if you understand what they mean, then it helps you understand what the intent is. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. and you see it all the time. You see it in music videos and halftime shows for the football, you know, for NFL. And you see it. You see these symbols everywhere and it's one of those things like once your eyes are opened a little bit it's hard to not see them and that's one thing that's been kind of cool but also frustrating in my own personal journey is that some of it's you're seeing it and you recognize it and um and and then you want to say something but people that don't <laughs> that don't get it are <laughs> they just get annoyed and think you're some kind of freak um, <laughs> but i did want I've, I've been seeing uh what is it I've been seeing unicorns everywhere, like inundated with it. Um, children's clothes and mm-hmm. children's shoes and toys and everything is unicorns right now. And I'm like, why, why? And so I started looking into that a little bit more. That's a whole nother rabbit hole too, but um, it also has some symbology in uh, uh, the demonic realm as well. Um, one of the and same thing that you were referring to Rosie, um, Asmodeus, uh, uh, Amdiseus, um, has the head of a unicorn and claws of a hands and feet. And he's associated with, um, 
cacophonous music that is played in hell. And it's just interesting yeah. things that like what, what, uh, these different things are, um, like signifying and tied to, and that like us normies, you know, don't know about on the surface level. It's just all so cute, you know, like rainbows and unicorns. And, but in reality, like they have much, much deeper meanings. And I often wonder like with how, Solomon and all of those wives that pulled him away to other religions and then how the Masons pulled such influence from Solomon and all of the different builders and architects and craftsmen um, and put such an emphasis on like him as being, you know, holding all this wisdom and um, just there's so much emphasis on Solomon for the Freemasons that I wonder if there's different practices that they also tried to adopt and different symbols that they tried to adopt that may or may not have had a uh, their origins in the pagan. Um, so yeah. it's very interesting. Like, because once you know about it, it's like as a Christian, you can't unsee it. Um, and so there's different things that you just have a bad feeling about. Whereas beforehand, it's not like you were guilty because you literally didn't know. But now that you know, you have that choice of like, okay, well, what am I going to do about this information here? Yeah. And that's kind of what that's was kind of, <laughs> You know, at first when I wanted to do a series on these th on these things, I was like, there's just so much there. It's hard not to say something, but then mm -hmm. it, it's still unpacking, like, how, where does it all fit in and, and all of that. But I do wanted to, I did want to just read something from, from Ephesians. And this is just good for us to remember, like in general. But in, in Ephesians 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he speaks very clearly about, you know, spiritual warfare and he talks about the armor of God in chapter 6 in particular. But um, I just wanted, before he gets to the armor, I, he has a little statement that he says in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. He says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So he makes a distinguishing there of uh, he not flesh and blood, um, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world, and evil spirits in the heavenly places. So he has three different, you know, categories of this enemy, of these enemies. And, you know, these these are real. And they've been at work, working to deceive many for a very long, long time, since the beginning of time, you know, arguably since the beginning of human time anyways, in Genesis. And we see that, that he's telling us that we actually have to put on God's armor and stand firm against the strategies of the devil. And so this could very simply be rooted in one of the strategies of the devil from his big worldwide agenda I mean, I know this makes our patriots in America cringe when we say stuff like this, but America could have a very big part in the New World Order. We could have a very big part in advancing the agenda of the New World Order. And mm -hmm. I, I, I hate saying that because a lot of our Christians that that are listening to this would say, no, we're a Christian nation. How would we ever do that? We're not a Christian nation. We're not. We never were an exclusively Christian nation. Was there... Mm -hmm. Did we... Did we uh, come to be for for freedom of religion yeah 
We did. We left because of persecution in England, and we wanted to be able to worship uh, and not have to give honor to the the church state of England. You know, that was a big part of it. Uh, but was that exclusively how our nation started? No, it wasn't. It was a remnant of the beginning of our nation. So to to stand here hundreds of years later and think that that's still what we are, uh, we never were that. And so I think I think the church has a romanticized you know image of the history of America in some ways. Um, yeah. And and even this the whole you know like I'm Patriot City man I'm like go USA like I still don't believe there's another country in the world that I'd rather live honestly unless there's some little island somewhere that has fresh water. Poland. <laughs> you like your Poland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like your Polish uh, history there, but. It's too cold for me there. Um, Perfect. Right, yeah. I was made for it. You were made for it, yeah. But, I mean, what I'm saying is that I think that there's, hey, if you're listening to this, just do some digging yourself. That Like, the best, the best thing you can do for yourself is dig yourself. Go and research yourself. Because once you start to do that, you'll you'll get on your own journey and you can uncover some of the stuff for yourself. But there's no mistaking that, Freemasonry in the early parts of our nation is right there. I mean, there were like 12, hold on a second. There was like eight or nine uh, actual Freemasons that signed the Declaration of Independence. George Washington laid the cornerstone to the Capitol building, and there were Freemason lodges that provided the funds and the stone for that. You know, it's like the cornerstones for these buildings, and those are significant you know, in many ways, the cornerstone's a big deal. And so they weren't absent. They weren't hiding. They were literally funding and in plain sight. As you were saying, Rachel, there's a lot of money that were, was coming mm-hmm. through them. And I, I think it's important just to reiterate, since you were talking about that and bad mouthing America, um, <laughs> Come on. cause you hate America. What? Um, <laughs> that I think what we reiterated in the, in the thing and, just because something was founded, um, well, I was going to say this is going to sound so cheesy and corny, but it is true that um, just because something was founded with uh, different intentions, and I mean, that's one of the things that it was founded. I mean, I don't think a lot of Catholics listen to this podcast, so we're pretty free to say um, America was not founded to be a Catholic nation, and there is a ton of anti Catholic sentiment. Probably rightfully so. Oh, um, yeah. Early on in our nation? Oh, yeah. Totally. And, I mean, that's why it was a big deal when JFK was the first Catholic president. And yeah. that was... 63? Yeah. In the 60s. Yeah, whenever. I think 60 or 62. Anyways. Um, but I think uh, the, the point is what I was saying is even if it wasn't founded um, by, you know, a group of actual Christians... Uh, evangelical uh, people, you know, there was like multiple great awakenings that happened here in America where millions of people uh, were converted, were saved, you know, like during, uh, yeah, there, there's tons of people. Well, when they had all, I know a lot of people like to crap on Billy Graham. Yeah. A lot of these truthers like to crap on Billy Graham and say he was something that he probably wasn't. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the 1700s, but oh, 1700. Oh, but I was, I was just t- thinking about like yeah. revivals and, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that, uh, so my, my whole point is that even if something was not made, um, explicitly to be a Christian thing, 
um, uh, like by Christians. I think that it was set up to be a Protestant uh, place where they could be a way to practice. You know, maybe they use the guise of um, Protestantism that we want, uh, you know, to be able to freely practice our own religion. I'm saying that in quotations by the original founders. God can use that. God can, as you like to say, draw a straight line with a crooked uh, pencil or whatever like that. And crooked so, stick. Crooked stick. So he, uh, I do think that God has blessed this nation in a unique way. Yeah. Um, for a, a period, I mean, we've been prosperous like no other nation ever before. Um, and I, we're truly the greatest nation that ever has existed or, um, you know, in throughout. And, uh, you know, for... American Christians that have been in here since the beginning um, have done amazing things for the work of the Lord. Yeah. And yeah. we've sent out, you know, just think of all the money that Americans in particular push out to missionaries and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's not here to just crap on America. No, no, we no. Crap on, you know, so even if it was founded by these secret societies, I do think that we are blessed by God. And the, in the same way, uh, I, I want to say this one thing, and I'll get off my pedestal. Is it in Romans where um, he's talking about they, there's the um, – where basically God said he just gives them over this nation to their own desires. Like in a current time, uh, I think – I want to say it's one of Paul's writing. I want to say it's in Romans where he's a, talking a about – There's like some nation that he's writing to um, in this – I don't know, my brain, I want to say it's from that, where he says, like, uh, God can basically turn, they they want to have their own thing, and God, so it's a reverse, uh, what's the, 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 the opposite of a blessing? A curse? A curse. So basically, the, this nation is cursed. I know it's in the New Testament, that's why yeah, I'm yeah. assuming it's Paul writing. Yeah. Um, but basically, God curses this nation, not by any direct thing. But by turning his back and just saying, "Okay, you can go," such as in you know the days gives, of Noah, gives them over to themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember Romans. What, Romans one. It wasn't a nation. I think it's just an individual. Like he basically gave gives you over to a hardened heart. Like literally. yeah, I, I want to say it was later on, but the thing I'm thinking of. Anyways, the whole thing is uh, just in the way that God is using that currently. Um, and you're talking about the new world order. Just to finish, wrap this up. Um, I don't think that we're the Christian nation that we might have been at one time or a nation full of Christians that we were at one time. As you look at all the gay stuff, you look at all the other stuff that we're leading the way in bad things, and that is not good. So, I definitely agree with it being a like America being the country that all other countries are almost trying to emulate. Like, all other countries don't have the same kind of level of freedom and definitely don't have the same origins that America does, but other cultures and countries have so much stronger um, nationality, uh, I guess, like continuity, and America doesn't, and that's where you have the melting pot of not only cultures but also religions. So it's kind of like Freemasonry where you don't have to be a specific religion. You could practice whatever religion you want to have. Ultimately, at the end, probably is its own religion, but like at the beginning, you don't have to. And so that's what America almost feels like to me. Like it was started so that you could practice your freedom of religion. And that's awesome, especially for Christians, because we're going to be able to use that and thrive under that. However, it also means that all these other competing voices are still happening, too. Right, right. And 
that doesn't mean that Christianity is going to win out in the end as being able to still maintain its freedom because it is so, it's not exclusive, but it is so Jesus is the only way and other religions don't really like that. So, Well, I think if, if you were escaping religious persecution and you, <laughs> if you're a Freemason, you're escaping religious persecution from the Catholic Church, like we were just talking about how mm-hmm. they don't get along, and you're going to make a declaration of independence in a new nation that you're trying to help fund, you're going to say, I want to have religious freedom so that I don't have mm-hmm. this worldwide influence that was really, the, the Catholic Church at that time really was probably the largest single religion in the world um, at that time. You know, Islam was just emerging, you know, it, it was still growing. But uh, so you have, you you would have that in your constitution. You know what I mean? It makes sense that you would put it there um, to look for that. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't crapping on America. I want you to know that. <laughs> oh, that wasn't it. No, I, no, no, but no. I'm also realistic. And the rea- the realism of America today is that we are in a, in a post-Christian era of our nation's history. There was a very strong Christian influence um, leading up from the 30s, 40s, 50s. It started to decline in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then by the time you get to the 90s, we actually were already in a post-Christian generation. Um, and the 90s, the 90s kids, you know, and 2000s now, we're in a, you're seeing how fast a post-Christian culture uh, can change what a nation looks like and what and how they, mm-hmm. the rules they make and the way that they behave. It's almost, I just thought of this is, much in the same way that maybe, um, so if we're living currently in a post-Christian nation, which we are, which the majority of our government and the people that run it are um, not looking out for us. Right. And we can see that, you know, by the recent Supreme Court ruling, rulings and all this stuff and the fact that abortion is still legal, you know, all these things that are very anti-Christian as an institution uh, in America. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about racism or anything like that. Um real institutional things that are wrong with America that are anti-Christian that are anti-Christ. Yeah. There are still good Americans, uh, Christians. There are true Christians. So I, I kind of mirror it in the same way of the founding is just because the people in charge. Um, and I would say the, the founders had a better idea and were less anti-Christian. Right. Than current rulers are now. Yeah, that's true. So think of it in the same, you know, in the same way that, you know, Christianity was allowed under, you know, the auspices of something that was not explicitly Christian, the founding. Christianity has done amazing things in America. And now under the, a anti-Christ, so many Christian, you know, all these government rulers and the left, the, these liberals are just keep doing it They're If you're a liberal, you're anti-Christ. You, yeah. you cannot be. There, if you're if you're a, if you're a Christian and <clears throat> you claim to be a liberal, um, your liberal politics will come into conflict with your biblical God on every single thing. If in, unless you're ignorant, yes. So on um, one or the other, either you don't know what you really believe from the Bible standpoint or what you really believe from the standpoint of your politics, right? Um, so much in the same way, I think that there is. And explode. God can do stuff like in a nation, and just it's important to remember that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So there's good Christian. Well, Cyrus, right, King Cyrus from Babylon, he let him go back to Mm -hmm. rebuild, you know, 
yeah. Israel. So, uh, yeah, you know, that was their actual captives that were right. like suppressing, uh, you know, as prisoners, uh, and you know, for 60 years, 70 years. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I do. I do agree with that. The, and there's always a remnant that God always has anyways of true believers. But I would say <laughs> this, that if you historically look at, um, the beginning of our nation too, the Protestants that came over were, were, uh, they were all of these, um, reformed, you know, they were yeah. all from the reformed churches and Dutch and those, um, you know, the early, uh, real reformed churches. And I'm actually glad that they were them because yeah. they had their theology very clear and they were very, uh, very Protestant, <laughs> you know, in, in what they had. And so they weren't going to give you a works-based salvation or anything like that. Yeah. They were going to bring to you a, a grace, but also they were pretty strong. Uh, yeah. It's not the United States of Mary. Right. <laughs> America. Well, maybe it is, but we know. <laughs> it is Maryland. Yeah. And Virgin, yeah, Virginia yeah. and Maryland, Virgin Mary. So, yeah, there's some crazy stuff, man. There's some crazy stuff uh, there just in the names of our states and some of those things. But, but man, yeah. So, uh, anyways, if you ever get your chance, if you're a listener and you live in the D.C. area and you get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., just take a look at the buildings Look at the inscriptions. I also found out that there are um, over 65 different unique um, uh, statues or images that give homage to the Zodiac signs. Uh, why? Why is that? <laughs> why do we have Zodiac signs? In D.C.? Yeah, in D.C. Yeah. There's a really famous... We should tear down those statues. That's right, man. Well, there's a famous statue of... Einstein on uh, Consti no, uh, yeah, Constitution Avenue as you're leaving the city heading west. And um, it's a weird sculpture of Einstein sitting, uh, sitting down. He's kind of like looking at papers. And if you go up to that statue, there's zodiac signs all around on the, f on the ground and um, different constellations for the different um, zodiac signs. Um, very strange. And that sits in front of the uh, the famous building that Rachel would love so much. It's the National uh, Building for Pharmacy. <laughs> so what? Yeah. Why is Einstein with zodiac signs outside the pharmacy, the National Pharmacy Building? What? How does that? Why? Like, how? Like, why wouldn't they at least have like the the Moses staff with the snake, you know, yeah. like with the, you know, the symbol for, you know, medical or something. Science. Yeah, it is science. It is science. Science. I don't believe in God. I, I believe honestly in think that scientism is going to be the new accepted religion. Not so much like, you know, you're going to a church, but it's like the thing that unifies everyone. Well, you know, let's all, let's all agree on this. At least we believe in science. You know what I mean? Like I've heard so many Christians even they'll say, you know what, you know, praying is okay. But like from a science standpoint or like, you just have to rely on science. And I'm like, but science is, it's not <laughs> a finished done deal. It's the, it's the actual process of asking questions and conducting experiments and oh my goodness, being proved wrong and continuing to search. And so it's not like a, you can't reach a consensus 
right. scientifically. You can't reach this somehow like, okay, this is the end all be all, you know, you've learned this and now you have, you know, received this scientific knowledge. It's like, it's a process, but people just slap something on there and like, okay, this person's anti-science because they don't believe A, B, and C. And I'm like, no, you're just in the process of asking questions. So I kind of believe that as America has also taken the front, the, uh, the front seat as far as what other countries are trying to look like and trying to be like and trying to emulate with their media and everything, they're also going to try and emulate uh, America's um, scientism as the unifying factor behind everyone. Like, you know, we can all be different religions, but at least we all believe in science, right? So... Right. Well, I mean, let's let's look at the uh, the science right now. Just on our stupid coronavirus, one week masks are good, the next week they're not. You know, one week the 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 death counts going down, the next week it's not. We we don't even we don't even have a clear scientific on that. It's just they contradict themselves. You know, you've got the Surgeon General saying one thing, you've got the CDC saying another thing, you've got the WHO saying another thing, then you got Fauci saying another total different thing, and you can't even depend on the science. Uh, but you also can't question it. Don't question. Right, right. But what's funny is if I use science to contradict other science, then if it doesn't agree with their worldview, then all of a sudden I'm the the closed-minded bigot or whatever. I'm the racist. Mm-hmm. I'm the racist because uh, my science doesn't match your science. It's just insanity. That's why the one truth of the gospel is so much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a one mm-hmm. single truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's the great physician. So take that, scientists. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just to go on this for a tangent, they, uh, I mean, when you look at the coronavirus, and it is true um, that we they turned it over. Um, I mean, basically just full sale, like a religious thing where you have uh, almost like the three, (laughs) the Godhead, you have Bill Gates, you have Fauci, and I can't think of anyone else. So you have like, you know, these gods. (laughs) Um, So whatever they say is gospel. And then it trickles down to, you know, the priests or whatever, which are these different doctors that are going out there and saying it. And you have to listen to whatever they say. The false prophets are the The media. The white coats. Lab coats, yeah. Hate lab coats. (laughs) But, yeah, they there's similarities. I need to think more about that analogy, but it's there. Yeah, you got your false prophets, the media. Yeah, it's all all there. So, So, man. Well, that's cool, man. We might come back to this again in another episode, but... um, you know, I'm going to keep looking around the city and I'll put, if you follow us on Instagram, I'll be posting some pictures and stuff that I'm taking of different buildings that have, uh, you know, m- real m- strong Masonic influence, uh, attached to them. So, um, anyways, uh, you guys got anything else you want to add as we close out here? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, don't. If, yeah. So how about I'll say this, uh, don't get a tattoo of an owl. Um, that's right. Yeah, you know, actually, I, had to check cause I, I don't know, man. I it's an owl. It's God's creature. He made it, even though it represents. It's come to represent something. They so you're had, saying we all should get owl tattoos and reclaim it. We yeah, should, we should have a crusade, a crusade to redeem the owl. We're gonna get all these demonic tattoos on our bodies, yeah. and then then God will be like, well, 
I said don't I d- don't do this. I do think it's funny because I have a whole sleeve that's a jungle sleeve. Yeah, with tattoos. You should hide an owl. I don't. I don't there. have any owls. I have a lot of animals tattooed on me. Yeah, I have no owls, which is interesting. That is that was God's grace. It's God's grace. He yeah. was looking out for you. Got to change it. Put an owl right on my forehead. <laughs> an owl on your forehead. You get an owl tattooed right over my uh, crown chakra. Your <laughs> your pineal gland. Yeah, pineal gland. <laughs> so owls are useful for cleansing the pineal gland. Yeah. People don't realize that. Uh, get some whole owl juice and owl oil and rub it up on there. Mm. Anyways, hey, uh, we'll catch you next time on All Out War. Stay away from the owls. Yes. Or are you gonna go to hell? Are you- <laughs> You're not safe. That's right. Rage, we'll see you, girl. See ya. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll catch you next time.